Thank you for downloading this man-to-man podcast from Awakened Heart Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Dr. Scott Engelman and the Awakened Heart Ministries team on our website at ahm4.life. We become confused about why we struggle as men and where we go for help as men. And the end result is typical American male. 70% of men are workaholics. 20% of men today in America are depressed. 34% of adults will witness a man beating a wife. 20% of men struggle with alcohol. 70% of men have no faith. 86% of men click on internet sex sites. 55% of men are divorced. 33% of men cheat on their wives. 33% uh, do drugs. 48% of men carry major secrets, and 90% of men have no real friends, and 15% of men are ghost dads. That is, they have children, but they never have a relationship. They never see them. Every man knows how it feels to be accused of being there, but not there. Maybe it was your wife or girlfriend, maybe your son or daughter, or even a close friend. Being told the light is on, but nobody's home, is not something any man wants to hear from those he loves. Deep inside, men want to be present for others. And yet, it's just so easy to tune out when things get a bit uncomfortable. Why is that? Listen in with us today for part one in Scott's series on manhood, a chaos-engaging presence. In part two, Scott discusses the many forms chaos can take in a man's life, as well as what it looks like for him to be fully present in it. Thanks for being here this morning. I know it was a tough drive uh, coming. I know I came earlier this morning and it was just getting really bad. And I called and told my wife, I said, you know, if it wasn't for the podcast that we have, I wouldn't have probably showed up uh, because I could listen to it at, at home instead of driving here on the road. So I appreciate you guys showing up this morning. <clears throat> How many of you guys can identify with uh, something like that? Something starts out so good, and all of a sudden it's like, where did all that come from? And you want to do, have a mulligan, right? Uh, a, a do-over. Unfortunately, uh, things like that, mulligans don't happen uh, only in golf, not in real life. Um, we're going to be talking today about, as Mark said, chaos. And uh, you see there, Ray had a lot of chaos, and he really didn't know what to do with it. And uh, what makes... That uh, funny, what makes the show Everybody Loves Raymond so funny is we're really laughing <clears throat> at ourselves, aren't we? There's truth about uh, who we are as men, and it's a truth we don't really like, but it's a truth that we can laugh at when we see it in somebody else. And so we're going we're gonna, to uh, focus on that today. Uh, a few years ago, there was an article in the New York Daily News and it started out with a question, the, the um, headline, uh, Blame Men for the World's Problems. Oxford study says masculine behavior is the root of all conflict. And if you read it, the uh, article really, could, you could summarize it by saying evolution has shaped men's minds to pursue conflict. The way we've been shaped, the way we've been formed in terms of how evolution has brought us, again, this is their thinking and feeling, is it has shaped us so that we are all about uh, conflict. We're all about being aggressive. 
And um, the article's conclusion was this. Men are responsive for are responsible for war, for terrorism, for discrimination, for racism, for conflict among political parties, for domestic violence, rape culture, and high school bullying. And probably some things that they've forgotten. Now, the conclusion or the translation to that, and I'm not... Kevin, this isn't... There we go. Whoop. The message is this. Men are harmful to our society. Men are a nemesis to the culture. Now, is that true? Is that message true? Men are a nemesis. Men are harmful. Has evolution formed our minds as men so that we are an existential threat to a civilized society? That seems to be what the, the study shows. Is masculinity so irreversibly toxic that our only hope is to get rid of our masculine nature, get rid of men? I'm having a problem with my clicker here today. Sorry, guys. Does our presence in the world really threaten the peace of the world? Now, this study concludes with these statements, that we are harmful, men are harmful to the culture. But here's another thought to consider. Is it possible that to take all the same data from this study, and then to take another lens, a different lens, and interpret it through that different lens, and reach a different conclusion about men. Is that possible? Is it possible that this study could tell us that it's saying something more about who we are as men? Kevin, can we... Where are you, Kev? I don't know why this is... Uh, can we set that up just a bit? There we go. Something good about men, telling us something good about men that has been corrupted. There's something wrong with men, but is it telling us that there is something good, but what is good has been corrupted? And is it telling us maybe that there is something lost in men that needs to be restored? Is that a possibility? We could reach a different conclusion if we have a different lens. It all depends on the lens you filter the data through. Well, we at AHM believe that our mission is to encourage men to act like men. Not like to act like anything else other than men. And how? Well, by offering men, this is our mission, by offering men hope and direction for their manhood. Why? Because our confused world needs fully masculine men. We believe that. That's our mission. To encourage men to act like men by offering men, you and me, hope and direction for what it means to be a man in this world. Why? Because our confused world needs fully masculine men. Men who act like men.
Now, where does this mission come through? Where does this mission, this mission come from? Well, where it comes from is not through the lens that the Oxford study looked at, but it comes through a different lens, the lens of the biblical story of creation, which is highlighted or tinted by the gospel story of recreation. Both those stories come together and they form our mission. Well, what is the lens of the biblical story of creation? Well, the lens of the biblical story of creation is simply this. God has made a good world, and then He placed men into it. Men that He designed to reflect His life-giving power. Men who He made to create life-giving environments where people could thrive and relationships could flourish. So God made men to reflect His power so that they could impact the world to create a kind of an environment where people can thrive and where relationships can flourish. Now this tells us something about men. It tells us that there's something legitimately good in you and I as men. Why? Because God put it there. That our world needs and that others need. The world needs masculine men. Why? Because God created the world to have that need. It also tells us that there's something legitimately powerful in men that longs for impact and desires to be felt. We all desire power as men. Why? Because we were made to reflect power. And because of that, we long for power that isn't just to have power as an end, but power that impacts the world. Power that changes things. And power that also can be felt by those around. And when power is felt, we feel respect. Those are legitimate longings that God has put within us as we live in this world as men who make a difference on behalf of others and on behalf of God's world. That's taking that study and looking through it through a different lens. But it's not just the creation story, it's the creation story tinted with the gospel story of recreation. Now what is that? The gospel story of recreation simply states this, that sin has broken and corrupted God's good creation, but God has not abandoned His creation, but God through Jesus Christ has launched a program of recreation by which He is restoring the goodness of His world that was corrupted by sin, and this restoration of His created world includes the good design for men. In other words, God made us, the creation story tells us God made us in a certain way, sin has corrupted us, so what we see happening is men misuse their power, but God has not given up on the world and God has not given up on men. Through the Gospel, He is not only restoring all of creation, but He's also included in that the restoration of our design, our good design as men, who are made to reflect the power of God for the purpose of what? Developing, creating environments where people can thrive and relationships can flourish. This explains then why broken men use power for their own good at the cost of others. Why? Because we're broken and we're corrupted. We're not living according to our design. This also explains that why hope and direction for men is not about doing more and trying harder to feel better. 
It's about being restored to our created design through the Gospel. That's the hope and direction that we offer to men, to ourselves, and to all who hear the message. That hope and direction is not in doing more and trying harder. It's not in having somehow a better self-esteem. It's about being restored to what God has created you to be as a male image bearer through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel that was made possible by His death that forgave our sin and set us free from the corruption of the world and through His resurrection started that whole program of of having everything be made new. And now it started and we're getting tastes of it. We're experiencing it. That's His intention. But it will be fully fulfilled. The program will be fully restored. Creation will be fully restored. You and I will be fully restored as men when Jesus comes again. And it's at that time He makes everything new and He returns to earth. And what was lost in the fall is restored in His coming. That's our message. Now, this message of man's design includes three facets. I shared this with you last time. Uh, it, It includes a stewardship of power. We have a stewardship of power, which we saw at the previous series, our last series, we focused on that. Our current series, we're looking at the second facet of manhood, a chaos-engaging presence. And then sometime this year, we're going to focus on our third, the third facet, which is an unquenchable fiery passion. So manhood is about power, presence, and passion. Okay? And what we've seen is that healthy masculinity, if you want to be a healthy man, how God created us to live as men and to be in this world, that includes all three of these facets operating simultaneously and in balance with each other. Okay? However, if we want to use the term toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity, how as I understand it, is one or more of these facets are missing and or are operating out of balance. When we're out of balance or when something is missing, then it's going to create toxic masculinity. And toxic masculinity will be a corruption of who we've been made to be that is a caricature of one of these facets. It'll come out in one of these ways. For example, if, if you're out of balance in the area of a stewardship of power, a man is going to use his power not to bless, but to destroy. He will be a destroyer. If you're out of balance in the area of a chaos-engaging presence, I, I, last time I put a distancer, but that was really it wasn't true. Because to to be a caricature of presence isn't to be present in a healing way, it's to be be present in a dominating way. Your your presence just dominates and controls. If you're out of balance in the terms of the passion area, you're going to be a dreamer. You're going to be passionate, but your your passion is going to take you to other places and it's going to take you out of the present moment. Okay? So a destroyer, a dominator or a dreamer? Rick, yeah? What's the difference? I'll come up with, I'll, we'll talk about that in a minute here, okay? Our, our series now is we are focusing on the second facet, 
manhood as a chaos-engaging presence. And again, the purpose of this series that we're in right now is to offer guys hope and direction, by, again, by pointing us back to the story of creation. In the story of creation, we learn who we are as men. We learn how we were designed to function as men. We learn why we struggle the way we do as men. And we learn also where we can go for help, where hope and direction comes from. Now the outline of the series, session one, last time we looked at your masculine design made to be like God. Session two, which is today, we're going to look at your masculine mission made to create like God. And then next time, next month, session three, your masculine movement made to engage like God. We are an image bearer, a male image bearer, made to be like God, made to create like God, made to engage like God. That's the whole idea of manhood. Okay. Now last time, if you were here, you know that we laid the foundation for our series. And we used 1 Corinthians 16.13 as a springboard to take us back into the story of creation, Genesis 1 and 2. And we can look at it like this, with this... this, uh, this circle here, the cycle. 1 Corinthians 16.13, remember we saw it tells us to act like men. Act like a man. And we said, well, what does that mean? Well, we took some time to show that in Genesis 2.19, it really says that to act like a man is to be like God. And then we said, well, what does it mean to be like God in that context? And we look back then to Genesis 1, and it tells us, to, uh, that to be like God is to be a chaos-engaging presence. God is a chaos-engaging presence. And so to act like a man is to be like God. To be like God is a chaos-engaging presence. And a chaos-engaging presence is what it means to act like a man. Got that? That's where we were last time. In other words, we as men are uniquely designed... To be like the God described in the story of creation. And he's described in the story of creation, Genesis 1, as a God who is a chaos-engaging presence. What does it tell us about this God who is a chaos-engaging presence? It tells us that he creates life-giving, God-centered environments. Genesis 1, 31-2-3. Why does he do it? He creates them, not just to say, oh, that's nice, but he has a purpose for creating them. He creates them for, for the flourishing of people and relationships. For relationships with each other and for relationships with him and, and humans. How does he do this? By dispelling the chaos, confusion, and darkness that begins the story. And what is the means by which he dispels the chaos? He does it through his powerful presence and engaging activity. So God is a chaos-engaging presence. And to be like God means for you and I to what? Be a chaos-engaging presence, which is also another way of saying, act like a man. Okay? So, this means then, see it in a little simpler form here, to act like a man is to be like God. 
And to be like God is to create like God. He creates what kind of environments? Life-giving environments. And how does He create? By being fully present in the chaos. Genesis 1-2. And by actively engaging the chaos. Genesis 1-3 and following. And all of that is to say that manhood then is a chaos-engaging presence. That make sense? Good. Now, today's focus then is like God, we are designed first and foremost to be present in the chaos. We are a chaos-engaging presence. Today we're going to focus on that last word, presence. Men are made to be present in the chaos. Now, let's just look back at the story with God. As the story begins, where is God? Well, here's the story. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, now look what it says. Now the earth was without shape and desolate, and darkness was over what? The surface of the watery deep, or the surface of the abyss. The idea of the watery deep is one word, chaos. In chaos, the idea in the ancient Near East, there was chaos in this watery deep, this abyss. It was filled with sea monsters. It was just a bad place. No, no kind of life could flourish there. And so darkness is over this, this chaotic water. But the Spirit of God, where was He? He was also hovering over the surface of the water. Darkness is over the chaos. And where is God? God is in the darkness hovering over the chaos. So where is God when the story begins? God is present in the chaos. Genesis 1 is going to tell us that He's now going to create this, envi this environment where relationships can flourish. But before He begins to create and act in the chaos, it tells us one thing. He is present. He's in the darkness, hovering over the chaos. In other words, what this means then is, guys, we are called to create like God creates. And if that's true, then it starts by being fully present in the chaos. God is not somewhere else at a distance. God is right there when He creates. Now, two questions with that. What is the chaos you and I are to be present in? Obviously, it's not the same chaos God was present in. So what is the chaos we as men are to be present in? And then secondly, what does it mean for you and I as men to be present in that chaos? What is the chaos? What does it mean to be present in the chaos? And why do we need to know that? We are a chaos-engaging presence. Okay? So, what is the chaos to be, uh, that we are to be present in? Question number one. How I would want us to begin to think about it this morning is this. The chaos that we are called to be present in is the confusing darkness that's part of our broken world which enters every man's life. 
Every man has chaos. At different times, we experience chaos. In different degrees, we experience chaos. And in a million different forms, it comes to us. Chaos is a part of this world. It comes to us at different times, in different degrees, and different forms. It came to Ray in our clip, where? In the place that he loved most, the golf course, and it came in the form of what? His wife. It comes in many different forms, in many different ways, in many different times. Some of the forms of chaos that you may experience, slow traffic, a fearful son who's just paralyzed and doesn't know what to do with his life. An angry friend. He's angry at you and you don't know why and he doesn't want to talk to you. What do you do with that? That's chaos. Financial debt. How am I going to pay this? Gosh, I need to get another job. I don't know what to do. A broken furnace. You know, we've been having trouble with our furnace, and this morning I woke up, it was 61 degrees in our house, and so I, I turned the furnace up. We have uh, Siri, so we turned the furnace up through Siri, and my wife got up to go to the bathroom, and I wanted to know, was it working, or am I going to have to get up and deal with the chaos? <laughs> and so she was able to feel, yeah, it's working. A bad medical prognosis. That always brings chaos, isn't it? Busy schedule. You ever feel chaos when your, your life is just so overscheduled and everybody wants your time and you don't even have enough time to think and to do all that you need to do, let alone time just to, to chill? That's chaos, isn't it? A separation or a divorce or even just a fight with your wife or girlfriend. That's chaos. A wet basement. You know what? You guys are probably thinking of some of the chaos that you're experiencing right now. We all have different forms of chaos, don't we? It comes in many different ways, in many different forms, in different degrees, at different times. In other words, what I want us to see is this. Chaos is anything in your world from annoyances to tragedies that threatens or disrupts the shalom of your life. What's the shalom of your life? Peace, tranquility, comfort, stability, goodness. Anything that disrupts the shalom of your life, which then requires something of you as a man, you just can't sit there, it's going to require something of you that is typically more than you want to give, Oh, I don't have time for this right now. We all identify with that. More than you're able to give. Oh, man. I don't have the money. I don't have the experience. I don't have the knowledge to deal with this. Or more than you know to give. I don't know how to handle this. There isn't a way to handle this. That's chaos. Any guys have chaos this morning? In many forms, in many degrees. And so in light of that, here's an important Bible question. If the creation story, Genesis 1 and 2, is the tale of 
chaos to order, you know where I'm going with this? Then why in the world is there more chaos than order? I thought God was there and He took all the chaos and He made this this life-given environment for you and I to thrive in. And everything is going to be good and wonderful and fine. If the creation story is the the tale of chaos to order, then why all the disorder? Why all the chaos? Well, what's the answer? Well, the answer is this. The creation story has an addendum to it. And the addendum is in Genesis chapter 3. And the addendum explains to us why there's more chaos in God's world, in God's good world, than there is order in the world. And it tells us that chaos returned to the world when Adam failed to act like the man he was designed to be. God creates the world. He is present in the chaos. He engages the chaos. Everything is good. He creates the man, and He puts man in the garden, in the world, and He says, be like Me, a chaos-engaging presence. Adam fails to act like a man. What happens? The chaos returns. Let's look at that. The story of chaos's return. Genesis 3. Now, there are two main characters in Genesis 3. What's the first one? Adam? Eve there, she's a minor one here. The serpent, the chaos that comes in the form of the serpent. And what does he do? He brings darkness to God's truth. Did God really say that? And confusion to God's central place. You can be like God. In fact, the serpent in the ancient Near East represented chaos and darkness. And so the original reader would have known this is chaos coming. And so he brings chaos to God's order. He brings chaos to how God created things to be. Now the man is seen as silent and unresponsive. It says the serpent comes and he speaks to the woman. And I believe he speaks to the woman because the woman hadn't directly heard from God the prohibition not to eat, that was something only the man heard, and we know that because the woman wasn't created when God gave the prohibition. So it was Adam's job to communicate to the woman. So the servant goes, hey, did did Adam really get it right? Are you sure that's what God said? Now, Adam knew what God said, but where was Adam? Was he on the back 40? No, it says he was right there with her. And the Hebrew word for with means right there next to her. No doubt. He's right there watching this whole thing happen. And he is seen then as silent and unresponsive. And as a result, he fails to exercise his masculine power to dispel chaos as he was designed. That's what happens. Now, let's think about this for a minute. The man, Adam, was made to be a chaos-engaging presence, right? To be like God. But when the chaos appears, what happens to the man? He disappears. 
Oh, he's there in body, but he's not there. Adam's silence is intended to picture an absent, uninvolved, passive man whose body is there, but he is not. Doesn't that describe what we saw in the clip this morning with Ray? In fact, just about any clip you show with Ray that describes him. And why do we laugh at that? It describes us. Absent, uninvolved, passive men whose body is there, but we oftentimes are not. I like Garfield, the theologian here. First scene, Garfield there is uh, looking at this jack-o'-lantern. It's got the, the candle inside. It's lit. And Odie, the dog, is standing there all excited about the jack-o'-lantern. Um, Garfield opens the top of the jack-o'-lantern, looks in. What does he see? The candle is there. The light is on. Hmm, he says, hmm, kind of like Odie. Shuts it. Third scene, the light is on, but nobody's home. Your wife ever say anything like that to you? Uh, hello? Hello? The light is on, but nobody's home. We're there, but we're not there. Adam was there but he was not there. And there are three results that we see of Adam's silence. First, chaos vandalizes God's good shalom. The world was made to function and work, so everything worked the way it was supposed to work. It was working on all eight cylinders. And chaos vandalizes the shalom in the form of disorder, darkness, decay, and death. Second, God then comes and He judges the man for failing to act as a man and He judges him with what the man would feel most. He was, man was made to move into the world. Now Adam is going to feel it when he moves into the world because God now says the world is going to be uncooperative. It's going to be in an unruly world filled with thorns and thistles which is only going to produce what? More chaos for Adam to have to face. Third result, Adam fades into the background as chaos now rules. Who is made to rule? God. Or, or, uh, Adam through God. God through Adam. But chaos now rules God's world, marring its goodness and corrupting all its design. But the story doesn't stop. The original sin is a process. But yes, the original sin, what, what, when Adam fails to act like a man, it's then that, that brings the whole thing about. Eve fails to act as a woman. She acts outside of relationship. She was made to be the warrior of relationship. She acts outside of relationship. Adam was meant to be what I call the vassal king. He is there responsible. And Adam fails to take responsibility. So it's, it's a process. But God holds not the woman responsible. He holds the man responsible. Through one man, Romans says, death came into the world. Okay? But the story doesn't stop with Adam and Eve. It continues with new characters in Genesis 4-50. through And who are those new characters? Adam's sons and descendants, right? 
And what do we see? They respond to the rule of chaos by also failing to act like men. They respond with jealousy and hatred and violence and murder and sexual perversion and silence and passivity and drunkenness and deception. I mean, these are just some of the the main characters that I thought of that, that characterize their lives. They respond to the chaos like this, which in turn only creates what? More chaos. Chaos begets chaos. And what then happens? Their masculinity grows toxic. Having abandoned their masculine design, they now morph into destroyers, dominators, and dreamers. What the Oxford study we saw in the beginning picks up. Now, to answer Rick's question, what do we mean by destroyer, dominator, or dreamer? These are forms of toxic masculinity which, in essence, characterize men who refuse to be men or who refuse to be present in the chaos. Because to refuse to be present in the chaos is to refuse to act like a man, right? And when we refuse to act like a man, that's when toxic masculinity begins to morph into our own lives. We can become a destroyer. A destroyer uses power of rage to intimidate the chaos. Remember, he's not going to get close. He's not going to engage the chaos. He's not going to be present in it. But he's going to use power and rage to intimidate the chaos away. Contrast that with the dominator. He's present, but he uses the fear of his presence to manage the chaos, to control the chaos. This is like a father who is always there making sure his son does exactly right and he's going to shame him if he does anything wrong. His son then is what? He's afraid of his dad. He's afraid of his presence. So we always are just making sure that there's no chaos for dad. Why? Because dad's scary. And it's always better when dad's not here. When dad is here, then I'm always afraid I'm going to be shamed when I allow chaos to come into dad's life. Third, the dreamer. The dreamer uses misuse of passion to escape chaos. That can be anything from, you know, dreaming about how you're going to, you know, have this great life someday that takes you out of the present. It can be using porn. It can be using, you know, having an affair. Uh, anything. Anything that, that we use our imagination to, and passion to take us out of the present. Now what I want you to see, it's important about all three of these. Whether your default is a destroyer, a dominator, or a dreamer, and we'll have a default, typically. What I want you to see is the single energy that drives all three. Same energy drives all three. It's the stubborn commitment to avoid chaos by refusing to be present in it. That's what's true about all three. One is not better than the other. They're all forms of toxic masculinity. And at its core, what I'm saying is, it's a stubborn commitment to avoid chaos by refusing to be present in it. I will use some facet of how I was made to be as a man to not be a man. 
to not enter into the chaos. And so here's my question. If being present in the chaos is central to manhood, okay, essential for acting like men, what's your chaos? That's part of what it means to be a man. It's central to acting like a man. It's vital for being like God. And yet, it's avoided by all of us as broken man. We're all going to seek to avoid it. If that's all true, then what will it take for you and me to become men who will stop avoiding the chaos but begin to live in a way that we become present in the chaos? That's the question we need to ask. We'll answer that right after our break. We hope that Scott's message today has encouraged you and helped you to better understand how God intended for the power He gave us to be used. Please visit our website at ahm4.life and click on the Resources tab. There you will see the Man to Man podcast and other resources we have available. At AHM, our mission is to provide hope and direction to men in a confusing world through Jesus Christ. Please continue to keep our ministry in your prayers, and if you'd like to donate to our efforts, visit our website and click on the Giving tab. Man to Man podcasts are provided by Awakened Heart Ministries, located in Troy, Michigan.